Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 9th of October 2022, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking on getting the most out of service. So a crucial theological question to ask you first thing this morning and the question that you've got to respond to, the very tricky theological question, is this one. Who is the most Christian of the Mr. Men? Yes, this is a really tough question. I'm assuming that all of you will know, but perhaps some of you don't, the children's books by Roger Hargreaves, where each of the characters, either a Mr. Man or a Little Miss, is defined by a single characteristic. So amongst the contenders for your choice this morning of the most Christian of the Mr. Men and Little Misses, the first contender is this one, Mr. Happy. It might be that you go for Mr. Happy as the most Christian of the Mr. Men because of the amount of joy with which he lives his life. Or it might be you make a different decision. You decide that you're going to go for Mr. Brave. Why? Well, perhaps because of his moral courage. Others of you here might think, well, a little bit more holiness is needed, so I will go for Mr. Perfect because of his exemplary behaviour. Or it might be that you're a bit more activist, you know that things have to get done in church, so you go for Mr. Rush because of the amount that he manages to get done. Or it might be that if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'd rather a woman won this award, you want a little miss to win the most Christian award, perhaps you'll go for little Miss Sunshine. You might instead go for little Miss Wise, or you might even decide that you'll go for little Miss Sparkle. Worthy contenders all, but I haven't chosen any of them. My choice of the most Christian of the Mr. Men, and I've used this illustration before, would be Mr. Here he is, Topsy Turvey. That's right, the one who does everything the wrong way round, upside down, or back to front. Now, Mr. Topsy Turvey was actually the first Mr. Man book that I ever owned. And while Mr. Silly later came along and rivaled him a little bit for my affections, Mr. Topsy-Turvy remained my favourite Mr. Man. Because I think of the deep appeal that I had as a child, which quite a few children do, of doing things differently from the surrounding world. It's actually not just children that that appeals to. Quite a lot of us as adults quite like the appeal of doing things differently from everyone around us. But it wasn't until I was quite a bit older that I suddenly recognised how much makes Mr. Topsy Turvey rather like what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. What on earth do I mean? When we look at the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, what we see is again and again Jesus is turning the assumptions of the surrounding world about what is normal completely upside down. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous teaching that Jesus ever gave. And it starts with a series of utterly topsy-turvy, upside-down statements called the Beatitudes about who is blessed by God. So let's have a look at a few of the Beatitudes, the first three and then the last one. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the most humble, the most vulnerable in society, for they will inherit the earth. And then lastly, 
most radically and nonsensically to a lot of people of all. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All these sayings of Jesus and many more show that the kingdom of God, the rule of God that broke into the world with his coming is completely upside down, back to front, and in many people's view the wrong way round, certainly from the way in which many people see things. And we had another example in that passage that was read to us just a few moments ago by Tim. James and John were two of Jesus' disciples who came to see him one day and asked if when he came in glory they could be placed either side of him in key positions. James and John had followed Jesus for some time. They'd obviously sussed enough about him to understand that he was going to bring God's kingdom in glory and their assumptions about what that glory would look like was pretty much in accord with how other victorious kingdoms came at that time. But Jesus replied, didn't he, by saying that those brothers didn't know what they were asking. Because undergoing suffering and sacrificial service was going to be intrinsic to that glory, both for Jesus and for his followers. And when the other disciples heard what James and John had requested, they were really annoyed, weren't they? Probably because they wanted pretty much the same thing. So Jesus summoned all of the disciples together and he said to them these utterly topsy-turvy words. This is what Jesus said. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lots of things are topsy-turvy about the kingdom of God. But perhaps the greatest is the way that God's transforming power works through loving and sacrificial service. When Jesus broke the power of sin and evil over this world and our lives, it wasn't through an act of might, was it? It was through the utterly topsy-turvy means of coming as a servant king who came to wash the feet of his followers who came to spend his time with the lowest of the low, and ultimately who gave his life to buy back those imprisoned by sin. And in that story of the request of James and John, Jesus was telling his disciples and us, all of those who would be his followers, that that pattern of loving and sacrificial service is the way that his kingdom continues to come through his followers. And Jesus says something very similar a couple of chapters earlier in Mark's Gospel. This was the other reading that we had, the first one that we had. Jesus says these deeply challenging words. If anyone would come after me, he, she, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the Gospel, the good news, will save it. 
Giving up our life, this passage goes on to say, is both the way that we show that we belong to Jesus, that we're not ashamed of him, but it's also the path to gaining the life that God, through Jesus, promises us. And it's all very topsy-turvy, particularly to us living within a culture that has all of these messages that we constantly see about the way to gain and the way to get the power that we need to achieve. We need to have things that we need to gain. We need to achieve power in order to gain life in all its fullness. That's the surrounding cultural messages that we receive. And in the midst of it, this utterly topsy-turvy message about the way in which God's kingdom comes and the way in which we can receive the life that God holds out to us. And yet when we experience this, we actually see that it really makes sense. So here is a picture of Grapevine, our monthly lunch club, which you know already meets once a month on the first Sunday of the month here at Christchurch. Those who come along to Grapevine, and some of you will already know this, what do they get? They get a great lunch prepared these days by a different cook each month. We have a game between the courses, and then we have the availability of prayer time afterwards here at the back of church, as many of 15 of members of Grapevine come afterwards to receive prayer. But Grapevine is no hard sell of Christianity, but it's nonetheless all done in the name of of the Jesus Christ whom God sent for everyone. And it's hard work for those who come and work in the kitchen. There are tables to be laid, there are people to be welcomed, there's food to be served, there's pans to be scrubbed, there's loads of clearing up to be done, and so on. But every single one of our grapevine helpers would say, I think, that hard work though it is, they absolutely love it. And furthermore, that they are hugely blessed by it. They would all say that there's something transforming in the atmosphere, not just for the guests that come, but for those who come to serve. And that's rather counterintuitive, isn't it? Why does this happen when those who serve at Grapevine could be putting their feet up at home, sitting out in their garden, or doing something for themselves? The Christian answer, and I believe the only answer that really makes sense of this, is that those helpers in that team, and of course there are countless other examples than I could have chosen, the helpers in that team are experiencing precisely what Jesus talks about in this passage. There are the words again. The topsy-turvy truth that when we choose to give our lives away for Jesus and the good news, even for just one part of a Sunday afternoon, we gain back those lives in abundance. We experience life to the full. We lose our lives for that part of the sacrifice that we make, but we gain them back in abundance. But of course, the opposite is true as well and this passage doesn't shy away from it refuse to give any part of our lives away make our lives all about what we can receive rather than what we can give and what happens we start losing those very lives we start to become a shadow of what we're meant to be like as a human being 
We lose in the process that very life that we're so desperate to hang on to. It's the topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom of God. And that's why service lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It's why we call these gatherings here in this building on a Sunday a service. Human beings, according to the Bible, were created in God's image to reflect what God is like through our loving rule of the earth. Now, of course, that went badly wrong, didn't it? We all know that, with those very same human beings messing up, causing all of the problems that we have within this world. That's what that famous story in Genesis 3 about the fruit in the garden is conveying. But God didn't just send Jesus so that sinful human beings could be forgiven through his death. God did that so that having been forgiven, we could then have that vocation restored of being God's faithful servants, serving his world and the people within it on his behalf. And that's where the things that follow Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and particularly the coming of the Holy Spirit, are so important. To make it possible for us to serve God and to be equipped by his Holy Spirit with his power to do precisely that. Now, there are plenty of important ways that Christians are called to serve God through serving others. Those of you who are parents or grandparents will already know what a costly but ultimately rewarding calling to service that is. Sometimes you'd rather be without it, but ultimately it's a blessing, isn't it? The same applies to those of you who work. Work of whatever kind, whether paid or voluntary, is part of the crucial way in which we're called to serve God. But alongside all of those important parts of Christian service, another important part of your service is as a member of this church. I get paid to be vicar of this parish. Whether you knew that or not, I don't know, but I do. And of course, we also employ others, don't we? David as our caretaker, Elizabeth and Anna as our administrators in the office, Nathan as our children's and youth minister, and they all do a great job. But this church is what it is because numerous more people have and still do give up their time and their energy voluntarily. They serve without being paid. And when a church is functioning as it should be. Every single committed member of that church is in one way or another involved in service. Not only contributing to the building up of that church, but as I say earlier, knowing the blessings that come through service, being richly blessed themselves by experiencing this topsy-turvy but undeniable Christian truth that when we learn to give our lives away for Jesus and the gospel, the good news of Jesus' coming, we receive back those very lives with interest. And that's why you've been given a little bit of paper. There it is, okay, it should be around you, you're all given one. I put it on the, uh, rather than shoving it into your hands, I put it on the seat beside you earlier in this service, and there should be a black biro there as well. And on that list are a whole load of ways in which you can potentially serve at this church. Now, I hasten to add, plenty of you already do. 
But the idea of this sheet, which we're going to have a chance to fill in this morning, is that it provides an opportunity for all of you who are regular and committed members of this church to think about where you are willing to serve. Now, as I say, quite a number of you already serve in numerous areas, and it will be good to fill that in on the sheet, uh, because partly it will be a reminder to you of the way in which you already served God, or perhaps the way you have in the past. But we need people in all of those areas. Let's just keep it up there on the screen for uh, a little bit more. Let's have it back. We need people in all of those areas. Because in a number of them, we actually at the moment have a relatively small amount of people doing, if I'm frank, rather unfair amounts of work. So there are pens around this morning. Can I encourage you to spend a few moments looking down that list and placing a few ticks by areas that you might possibly be able to serve. And I promise you, you will not be clobbered to do more than is fair, but you'll simply be contacted and asked to play your part in sharing some of the load alongside those already taking those responsibilities. We can have cameras back now. It's sometimes said that churches are always places where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And sadly, that is very often true in churches. But where that happens, it's wrong, isn't it? It's wrong for more than one reason. It's wrong because God calls all of his people to serve. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he gives all Christians gifts in order to do so. But it's also wrong because it limits God's blessings. God's blessings, the blessings of service, are for everyone. But he does gift all of us. And that's why, as well as there being specific tasks listed on that sheet of paper, there's also another section just to the right that says other gifts. Because it might be that when you think about it, you possess some other specific skill or gift or experience that could be deployed some way in service to this church, in some way that perhaps we've never thought about, but some exciting opportunity may exist for you to use the gifts that God has given you. So it's interesting, we did this at the 9.30 service earlier, and I had a quick glance at some of the sheets that came in, and one or two people have uh, said, one person said, well, I, I, I do knitting, and I'd like to serve God through knitting, and we've you know, got to think about that, how knitting might serve this church a little bit more. But there may be something that you've never thought uh, could be used or deployed at church, but you're almost certainly incorrect in thinking that because God can use all of the gifts that we've been given one way or another. It may be there's some area of experience you have, that you've got some particular type of knowledge which other people in need might benefit from. I'm looking at Chloe at the moment, thinking Chloe with all her skills in physiotherapy, and over the years there have sometimes been people who Chloe's had a chat with and given a bit of advice to, and that's been incredibly helpful. Sorry to single you out, Chloe, but you caught my eye. But there are often opportunities like that where people have particular skills or particular experience which actually can be part of building up the church, giving advice to others about this, that, and the other, and so on. So we're going to have a few moments now where you've got those pens and you've got the slip of paper and it would be great if you just look down the list and tick a few boxes. It may be things you're already doing and tick that box because it's important that it's acknowledged uh, that's what you already do. It may be some of you, for instance, pray 
regularly for scramblers or for climbers or for tiddlywinks or explorers. And that's a great act of service. And it may be that some of you fill that in uh, underneath uh, the other parts that are there. Or you say for the first time that you're willing to do that on a regular basis. Everyone who belongs to Christchurch is able to serve one way or another. There are different ways of serving, phoning people up to give them encouragement when they can't uh, come along to church, uh, for instance, because they're unwell, can be a way in which people can serve. So just spend a few moments looking at that sheet of paper, and if you're happy to, putting your name, and uh, if you've got an email. If you haven't got an email, you can put in other ways that you could be contacted, perhaps a phone number, but it will be a great way of us responding as part of our worship this morning. I'll just give you a few moments uh, to do that. I mean, other gifts isn't it, just as you do it, I'll, I'll waffle on. But other gifts is an important part. When, when we employed Nathan to be a youth minister, originally at this church, we, we didn't know anything about his graphic design skills. And yet virtually everything we do now uh, tends to use those, uh, those gifts that Nathan has been given in graphic design. And quite often there are people who have hidden uh, talents or partially hidden talents. And uh, quite often when people's uh, skills or gifts are used in church life, it can be a deeply affirming thing where they realize that uh, gifts that God has given them can be very much used for his kingdom. Some people are incredibly skillful at sewing and um, some people have got skills that other people are in awe of once they discover these things exist, um, but sometimes they remain completely hidden. So thank you for doing that, and uh, do continue to, to complete that if you want as I continue speaking. There may be one or two areas where you look at and think, oh gosh, I'm not sure I could do that. Um, one of the things I do want to highlight is helping on the AV uh, desk. We've got uh, Steve there and we've got Nathan who are doing it very regularly. Liz does a great job as well, Liz Courtney. Um, but actually, if you've ever considered helping out on that desk but have been a little bit put off because you feel intimidated by operating the equipment, please don't be because we've made sure that we've gone over to a system that's incredibly simple. And for instance, the computer that's used, anyone who's used to using a computer at work or at home is more than capable of operating it uh, during our services. The sound system also is much, much simpler uh, than it used to be. Nod your head, Steve, if you pretty much agree with that. Okay, put a thumb up if you'd like extra help, Steve, on the desk. Oh, he's not putting a thumb up. Nathan, put a thumb up if you want extra help. Yes, you do. Okay. There are loads of things to be proud about belonging to Christchurch, and I am deeply proud uh, to have been at this church nearly 20 years. But one of the things to be proudest about in belonging to Christchurch is the long history of service to this church by so many people. So just look over to the south wall, look into the middle of the south wall now, and you see a memorial there. Who to? Well, to the first vicar of this church, Charles Sterling. He was here for nearly 28 years, 27 years and eight months. And look what it says there. By whose labours this church, the vicarage and schools were erected and who ministered faithfully to the flock committed to his care. But Charles Sterling would have admitted there were loads of other people who alongside him uh, contributed to the church, the vicarage and the schools being established. And if you look just further along, just to the left-hand side of that plaque, you'll see a window there. 
and that memorial window is to a woman who I've spoken about before called Elizabeth Catherine Bunn. She ran the Sunday school here at Christchurch. Some of you will remember the tin tab when it existed before it was demolished in 1981, but there was a tin building for 81 years out on that lawn. It was used for many things, but it included the Sunday school that Mrs. Bunn ran on a Sunday afternoon from three o'clock. And she ran that Sunday school, some of you will know this already, she ran that Sunday school every Sunday from 1909 to 1955. An astonishing 46 years. And with well over 100 children coming each week, think of how many young lives Mrs. Bunn influenced during those years. But if she was asked, and I'm sure the same goes for countless others who don't have memorials at this church, Mrs. Bunn would have said that she was the one being most blessed through that remarkable service that she gave throughout those years. There's countless other people that I could refer to. Some of them have memorials in this church, most don't. But people who gave their lives in service, who built up this church, we've inherited so much that they've passed on to us. Not just in the remarkable buildings that have been passed on to us, that fantastic kitchen and so on, but the legacy of their investment and their service to this church and the lives of people in New Morden. And they would all say, I think, that they were hugely blessed by God by and through that service. And that's the truth at the heart of the good news of Christianity. The reason that Jesus, the servant king, sets us free from sin and evil is not so that we can relax and enjoy that status, but so that we can be used by God to serve him. In many ways, but including building up this church for the ministry and mission to which God has called us. And crucially, the topsy-turvy truth is that it's through our service that God most often blesses us. Because then we're living out this gospel truth that it's in losing our lives for Jesus and the good news that we gain those very lives back again. With all of the abundance of blessings that God intends us to have through our call to service. So in the last few weeks, all of our talks have been under the banner of this title, Getting the Most Out of Church. There are many ways in which we can get the most out of church, but one of the foremost ways is through our service. The service that God calls us to so that others are blessed by God, but so that we as well receive those blessings that come from giving our life away and receiving it back with interest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the way in which you've used generations of people to serve this church and its people, to serve New Morden, to advance the ministry and mission of this church through their sacrificial and loving service. And we thank you for the ones that we know about, perhaps whose lives uh, affected ours, and blessed us, but also for those thousands that we don't know about. But we thank you for their legacy, and we thank you that you call all of us to serve you 
that you give us your gifts through your Holy Spirit to do that. And we thank you for this wonderful topsy-turvy truth that we receive your blessings through giving our lives away for you and the good news of Jesus. Would you help us as we consider how to respond where we're perhaps nervous or anxious about doing this? Would you direct us nonetheless to the areas where we can step out in faith and serve you? We ask that you would bless our response to this challenge. And it will be a further part of Christchurch moving on in the way that you want us to develop in serving you with the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.